You may not consider yourself rich, yet you're rich. You may not always have enough money to make ends meet, yet look how far apart your ends are. You are rich. We're in America, in Lincoln, Nebraska. We've won, in a sense, the lottery of life. We are rich. And what does 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19, tell us about that? It tells us not to depend on our wealth, but to put our hope in God and to be generous with the financial provision we do have and be willing to share, to demonstrate our salvation by the way we give. If you haven't already, would you please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, will be our key passage today, Luke chapter 10, a passage that is familiar to many of us, the parable of the Good Samaritan, starting in verse 25 through verse 37. Now, if you are using the YouVersion Bible app, if you look down at the bottom on events there and you can choose Southview, you'll find all the notes for this sermon. Or, of course, if you're uh, following along on our electronic bulletin, the link for that is there as well. And then, of course, you can write it down on your own journal or our note section. But our sermon today is on why we give. Our Scripture memory verse for the month reminds us of this other's idea. Let's say that together. And that's 1 Thessalonians 3, 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12. Pray with me. Our Father, that's one of those Scripture verses which is easy to say. The images and the ideas of it make it remain in our mind, and it can flow right out from our tongue, but we don't always live it, do we? We're not always increasing and overflowing in our love for everyone else, but that's what you call us to do. You call us to live a life for others. So Father, as we open your word today, And look at a familiar passage from a slightly different angle, giving. We ask, as always, that you would speak to our hearts and that we would hear clearly from you how you've called us to manage the resources we have that we might share with others as they need. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, others... Others are why we give. We've considered this idea of others is why we pray and found out that it began with our humility, our brokenness, our repentance before God that made our prayers powerful and effective for others. Others are why we serve, and we found out it was our humble position before God that led us to desire to serve others with the gift we've been given. Others is why we share the gospel. That was last week's sermon. And then our broken recognition of what God has done for us that leads us in humility to respond and share that same love of the gospel hope of Jesus with others. And today we're going to talk about others is why we give. Now, this isn't a tithing sermon. We definitely believe in tithing around here, and we're thankful to those of you that tithe. 10% is a biblical starting point of your income. 
for those that give above and beyond their tithe, and for all that contribute to this church so that through this church we might be about the business of building God's kingdom here and in the world. But this is about the heart of why we give, our motivation. And as with our other sermons on this other's topic, it has to start with our own humility. So this week, we're going to read our Scripture passage in parts as we go through. And the first few verses are verses 25, 26, and 27. Luke 10, 25, 26 through 27. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, have you read it? Uh, How do you read it? He says, excuse me. In verse 27, the lawyer asks, answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The first point on your outline today is the lawyer's first question. He asked a question about salvation. How can I be saved? What do I need to do in order to have eternal life? And there's some debate, of course, whether this lawyer was doing this because he earnestly and honestly wanted the answer to this, or because of even the word that's used in the Greek, he wanted to test Jesus. It would seem that he wanted to win an argument, maybe make Jesus look bad, trip him up, or something like that. But his question betrays something else, the thinking that salvation is earned by works, That if I go to church, that if I pay my tithe, that I serve in Sunday school, that if I do all these good things, that then I'll get to go to heaven. Is that what the Bible teaches? No, it's not. We should be motivated to love others and to do good works and to share and all these other things that are part of what it means to be a modern day church because we are saved, not in order to be saved. So Jesus affirms the law and he answered and his answer when he says in verse 26 what's written in the law how do you read it just as when he was in a conversation with the rich young ruler and throughout the gospels Jesus affirms what we call the old testament which they call the law and he says that now the lawyer answers by quoting Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19 Love God and love others with everything you got is the way that I put that. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, that's your emotions, with all your soul, that's your conscience, with all your strength, that's your will, and with all your mind, your thinking, your ability to process and reason. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's important for us to notice the word neighbor used here is not the next-door neighbor type. There was a different word in Greek for that, and a different word maybe even in Aramaic that the guy would have been speaking to Jesus most probably. And this is the idea of a neighbor of somebody that is in your fellowship, in your group, in an extended community. And when a Jewish person like this lawyer would have used it, he would have limited his thinking to just Jews. Love my neighbors means love the other people who think like me. 
Love the other people who have the same bloodline as me. Love the other people who have the same religion as me. Love the other people who were born in the same place as me. Jesus answers here, love God and love others with all you've got. That's Jesus' answer to this man. Love God and love others with all you've got. He actually says that in verse 28 where he says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The lawyer wanted rules to follow. A checklist to say, yes, I'm going to heaven. But Jesus pointed to a fact that if he would live the abundant and eternal life here on earth to be otherish. Let's move on to that next portion of our scripture passage in verse 28. Verse 28, Jesus says, you've answered correctly by himself. So he asked Jesus, verse 29, but he, the lawyer, wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who's in my community? Justify himself means he wants to make himself look right. He's still in an argument with Jesus where he'd like Jesus to look wrong or fail. And in verse 30, in reply, Jesus tells a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem at an elevation of 2,500 feet, Jericho at an elevation of about 800 feet below sea level, so 3,300 feet elevation change in 17 miles. For those of you that think about gradients, that's about a 3%, 3.3% gradient. Uh, you could ride your bike up that or walk up it and not, Nancy knows what I'm talking about. So he goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Jesus goes on with this story. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side of the road. Isn't this a clever euphemism for he didn't want to help? He sees the guy laying there, beaten, bleeding, half dead, Apparently, he knows he's alive, but he's a priest and he's got other things to do. Besides, he's got to remain ceremonially pure. He can't be messing with somebody that's shedding blood all over the place. And so what does he do? He passes by on the other side of the road. Have you ever passed by on the other side of the road? Maybe literally, certainly figuratively, right? where you've seen somebody that maybe you didn't want to talk to, and you're like, I'm going to go the other way and avoid this person. Maybe you've seen something where you didn't want to help, and you said, um, I'm just going to, and you go the other direction. In our minds and physically sometimes with our body, we pass by on the other side of the road. Go on in verse 32. So to a Levite... So this was also a religious official in the Jewish custom and religion. When he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side of the road. 
The Jewish listeners at this point would be going, aha, we can understand why the priest didn't help him. We can understand why the Levite didn't help him because they wanted to remain uh, ceremonially pure. They couldn't have anything to do with something like that. I bet you a common Jewish person is going to come to the rescue and be the hero of this story. So they might even be swelling up a little bit because they had the story figured out. They knew exactly what Jesus was going to say next. But is that what Jesus said next? But, you know anytime there's a but in the middle of a sentence, you better pay attention, right? Here's everything that happened before, but. Here's all the things I want to tell you to get you ready, but. But is the hinge in the middle of this story. And Jesus is about to drop a bomb that will blow their worldview. But a Samaritan... What? That race of people, that mixed race that took Judaism and married in with the captors and don't we do? Of the Bible or the Old Testament, the law like we do? Jewish people were even taught to pray. God, excuse me, let me say this the right way. Jewish men, this is terribly chauvinist, but this was their culture, were taught to pray, God, thank you that I am not a woman, that I'm not a Samaritan, that I am not a dog. That's how they felt about Samaritan people, right above dogs. They didn't treat their dogs like we treat dogs, by the way. But a Samaritan, a despised person, as he traveled, came where the man who was beaten was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Your Bible may say he had compassion on him. It literally means that he was stirred up on the inside. He couldn't help but to do something. Verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil to soothe it, wine as an antiseptic. And he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn to take care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, about two months wages, or uh, uh, Yet two months of provisions to keep in an inn, excuse me, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Wow. The lawyer's next question was, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to treat the way you're saying I should treat them? Loving God and loving others with everything I've got, Jesus. Who do I have to love with my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Who do I have to love as I love myself, Jesus? And what does Jesus answer? Jesus says, let me tell you a story. As so often, Jesus tells a parable because people remember stories. We remember stories even today. That's why we have books and that's why we have movies. We tell stories because stories elicit thoughts and emotions and take us further than other things may And Jesus tells a story to get their attention. It's an imaginary story, but it could happen. The road between Jerusalem and Jericho was through a desert area with rocks, and it was known to have robbers. And robbers were known to do just that, to beat you up and to leave you for dead, to take all your stuff. So everybody hearing it knew this could happen and knew this would be real. And all the listeners went, what? When Jesus got to the Samaritan twist, which leads us to our final two verses. Verse 36 and 37. 
Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? The priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, the three guys in the story that were able-bodied, that could have offered help. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, and he couldn't even name him. He couldn't even say a Samaritan. He said, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Your third point on your outline is the Lord's question was, who was him? I got to go to Ohio State University a few years ago to see our Huskers play Ohio State, the game where we almost won, and it was like, oh. My sister and brother-in-law and family lived there. I was surprised to find out in all the grand buildings at the Ohio State University that everywhere there was an M on a sign or on a building, even if it was a big name of somebody, they had tape over the M. I'm like, what's up with the tape over the M's? Jason chuckles, I think, and says to me, oh, they hate Michigan. I'm like, what? They hate the state of Michigan and the University of Michigan so much, they're going to tape over every M on campus? Yes, they taped over every M on campus. And you know they don't call them the University of Michigan. They they don't even refer to it as the state of Michigan. They call it that university up north or that team up north or that state up north. The man here couldn't even name the Samaritan. He said the one who had compassion on him. Why do we examine this story today? If we're talking about giving, what is it that we learn from this story today? Well, that leads us to your fourth major point, and that's the pastor's questions. What does this story teach? And then we get to the church's answers. The first one that we see in verse 33 is that compassion demands action. When you see someone in need, when your heart is touched, you could pass by on the other side of the road. You can make up all your reasons, all your justifications for doing nothing because you've got to do what you've got to do and it's more important and somebody else will help that soul in need. But compassion demands action. A Samaritan, when he saw him, had compassion on him. He was stirred up on the inside. He had to do something about it. He acted. Even if he didn't have time, he didn't know how much it would cost. He didn't know if the man would survive or not. It wasn't convenient. It was bloody. It was gross. It was terrible. It broke your heart. But he was loving and he was compassionate as a person. And he saw a man in great need and so he did something about it. Humiliated, suffering, left for dead and dying. The Samaritan acted. Compassion demands action. The second thing we might answer, and what does this story teach, is that compassion takes effort. When you see a need, and you know you've got to act, you're going to have to do something about it, and it's going to have to require some effort. What did it say that the Samaritan did? He said he bandaged his wounds. It said he poured oil and wine. He put him on his donkey. These things were not necessarily nice, not necessarily easy, but they were needful. He spent what he had for this person. 
What about me? What about you? What effort am I typically willing to give to someone in need? When am I moved to compassion? Is it just when I think, oh, I've got the time? Oh, I've got the money? Oh, I'll help that person, but this kind of person, mm, I can't help them. Who's my neighbor? Who am I willing to help? Compassion demands action. Compassion takes effort. The third point, compassion may cost. Took him to an inn and gave him two silver coins, enough to take care of him for two months, basically. And he gave the innkeeper. Then he said, I'm going to return, and if it costs more than this, I'll pay you more when I come back. Compassion may cost. Which asks of me, what am I willing to spend? More than I bargained for, more than I anticipated, more than I thought it was I could take, more than I think I can afford, more than what I'm comfortable with or what I think is reasonable, compassion will cost. Is my heart so open that I'm willing to give like this? To give not expecting anything in return, to give not knowing how much more I'll have to give, to give because I see a need. Compassion demands action. Compassion takes effort. Compassion will cost you something. And the fourth point there, compassion moves us to give. When we are compassionate and when we see a need and when we're truly touched, we cannot help but give. We cannot help but meet the need. Just as Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are those who give to meet the needs of others, because God's going to meet their needs as well. The Bible calls us to love others as we love ourselves, really more than we love ourselves. It's not a call to perfection. It's a call to sacrifice. It's a call to giving of yourself, spending yourself for others, loving others in word and deed, giving to meet the needs that you see with the ability, the effort, the finances you have, which leads us to our bottom line. We give as God commands and as others need. We give as God commands and as others need. Notice I didn't say should. As Christ followers, we can. As Christ followers, we should. I said we will. We will give as God commands. We will give as others have needs because that's who we are, that we are changed in Christ. Therefore, we want to meet the needs of others like Christ. What did Jesus say? Go and do likewise. Give with compassion. We love as we've been loved. We forgive as we've been forgiven. We give as we've received. As others have needs, we as Christ followers give. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're humbled by the story. A parable, but it could happen in real life. The Samaritan who met the needs that others were unwilling to meet. And as he behaved... And spent himself and gave out of compassion and pity for the needful man dying on the side of the road. Would you remind us of that next time you call us to give? That you've given us so much 
that out of what you've provided for us, we might give to others as there are needs. We might give to our church, we might give to our friends, we might give to our neighbors, we might give to the random person on the street because we're stirred with compassion to meet a need. Father, we thank you for your presence among us today. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who convicts us, leads us, and guides us. We thank you for each and every one who is filled with the Spirit because they're followers of Jesus. And we pray, God, for those who have not yet trusted Jesus as their Savior, that they would make that decision today. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.